RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by the official Star Trek Discovery Starships Collection. All new starships in a larger format and officially authorized by CBS Studios. Subscribe today and receive the USS Shenzo for only $9.95 with free shipping. For details, visit eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 278, The Nagus. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, examining it for messages, morals, and meanings, and seeing how we can use those to take advantage of our fellow man. This week... Oh, hey, hey, Ken, Ken, uh, sorry to interrupt, but uh, fallow was last week. Fallow was... Oh, oh, I see, no. Fellow... Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Fallow was last week. Uh, Zek is this week. And I don't know is on third. Wait, what? This week, the Nagus. The one where Quark is the leader of all Ferengi for about half an episode. John's got trivia coming up in just a moment, but first... Third base. Yeah. But first, a word from Eagle Moss in the official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection. You know what we haven't done lately, John? You know what we haven't talked about lately? What have we not talked about lately? How much we love our Eagle Moss ships. I do. There are copy points. I know you do, and I do too. And here's the thing. We've been talking a lot lately about the copy points, like the fact that they're officially authorized by CBS Studios, and they're made from quality materials, and that they weren't just working from memory, but were actually using the CG models they used in production. (laughs) Okay, right. We've hit the quality of these ships hard, and in so doing, Mm -hmm. I honestly sort of feel like we've left off the fun. I love my Shenzo. I love it. Yes. I love that device. It's like the Franklin or that ship. It's like the Franklin, but less dirty. And it's interesting (laughs) because you can actually see, because they're supposed to be what, like 100, 150 years apart, I think, maybe Mm -hmm. a little bit Mm -hmm. less than that. But you can see sort of elements of both, you know, in each one, which is kind of a neat thing to see. And to be honest, I wasn't that into the discovery itself, that ship, until Mm -hmm. I held it. But then you got it. I was going to say, until I held the Eagle Moss XL edition in my hand. So, I mean, yes, I mean, all the stuff we talked about, the hand painting, the detail, and, you know, the rest of it. You you get the magazine, and that's cool, and you get the stand, and that's cool. You get the ships, and and they're just, I mean, they really are just just incredible, incredible, well, I was going to say incredible little things, but these are not the teeny tiny starships. These are the ones that are bigger than that. These are the bigger ones than that. And, and yeah, you, you said it with that, that incredible hand painting job on there. The, the paint is beautiful. And that's something that I really like about the discovery is just all the layers of kind of metallic shininess in there. It, it really, it looks like something that is, um, 
uh, far more impressive than this beautiful desk model. You know, it, it, it really has some life to it when it catches the light. So I, I love, love, love the paint job on both of these ships. So yeah, you mentioned the size. These are bigger than those teeny tiny spaceships that we've talked about before. You're talking about eight inches from uh, tip to tail on the Shenzhou, the NCC-1227. And uh, as you did mention, the display base, which is not only functional, but really beautiful. And I love the fact that there are not holes in my model ships. So I can take it out of that base and I have a perfectly rendered model in my hands. So you get that, you get the magazine, like you mentioned. And here's the thing for a ship as big and as beautifully detailed as the Shenzhou, it's kind of incredible that it's only $9.95 with free shipping. And that's what you get when you start subscribing to the Discovery Starships collection at eaglemoss.com slash Discovery Starships. Now, that is an incredible price. And of course, it's also an introductory price. Additional models, including the iconic USS Discovery, NCC-1031, and the Corella NCC-1255, and the reimagined Klingon Bird of Prey, uh, they will ship monthly an exclusive 20% discount off the standard retail price, uh, which is going to be more than $9.95. But $9.95 <laughs> is an excellent way to start. And one thing that is not just introductory, each one of those does come with free shipping. Now, subscribers are also entitled to free gifts worth over 100 bucks, And you can cancel your subscription at any time. Uh, full details can be found at eaglemouse.com slash discoverystarships. Now, if you wanted to, you could buy your favorite ships individually. You could do that one of two ways. You could either go online at shop.eaglemoss.com or you could head to your local comic book shop and you can buy them at the regular price for about $54.95 each. But again, to subscribe, go to eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. And a huge thanks to Eaglemoss for sponsoring this week's show. I said that John's got trivia coming up and I meant it. But first, I'm going to tell you how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. I said John has trivia coming up, and that is no longer true, because here it is now. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Ken. By the way, uh, let's kick off trivia with something about the title, because you mentioned the Negus, mm -hmm. uh, the Negus earlier. And I said the Negus, because that is an actual word. Uh, the Negus, it is a royal title in the Ethiopian Semitic language, and it, it would denote a monarch. Really? There you go. Yeah, so they, they <laughs> I believe it was Ira Stephen Bear who said that he was looking up words that would be a fill-in for leader, and that was one that came up. And, uh, of course, he didn't have the Google in 1993 to do that, but uh, that was the word that he settled on. And so well, we'll just change it around. We'll call it the Negus, and now we have our own word to denote a leader in the Ferengi culture. So, kind of cool, right? Yeah. So, speaking of Ira, uh, the teleplay of this episode is by Ira Stephen Bear, and it's about time, right? I mean, we, we've talked about Ira, who had contributed three scripts to Next Gen, 
And then we knew that he was going to head over to Deep Space Nine eventually, and he did get a co-story credit on Babel, but this is the first script of his produced for DS9, and of course he will be around for a lot more. Here's a fun thing about Ira. Now, this is the first time in the series that we mentioned the rules of acquisition. And in 1995, Pocket Books released the Ferengi Rules of Acquisition by Quark as told to Ira Stephen Bear. And I, I'm pretty sure I've got a copy of that somewhere. I'll have to dig that out and, and memorize all but 300 plus of them. Yeah, you do that and I'll memorize Leffler's Rules. Yeah, right. So you, you've got a lot to make up then. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, good Good luck. Yeah, well, it's, uh, I think I'm getting the easier one because I'll just be like, oh, yeah, I know them all. Just name a number. I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Or just say, call Ashley Judd, see if she's got the list. You know, as an actor, you do a lot of prep work that and uh, see if she's got that. Absolutely what I'm going to do. As soon as we're Excellent. done with this show, cool. I'm going to call Ashley Judd. Good. Let me know how that goes. <laughs> now, the story credit for the Nagus actually goes to the director of this episode. That would be David Livingston. Familiar name, right? Well, remember that David was a producer on Next Gen going all the way back to the beginning with Encounter at Farpoint. And he had his hands in numerous episodes there. He directed The Mind's Eye and Power Play in the fourth and fifth seasons, respectively. And this is the first of many that he will direct for Deep Space Nine. So for this, he had the idea of a story that would deal with a multi-alien species crime syndicate. And he also happened to really like The Godfather. And Michael Piller and Ira took that idea, ran with it until we got what we see here. Hey, let's talk about some set details. There is a great one in Cisco's quarters. You have a 3D chess set. I don't know if you spotted that one. And uh, I do encourage you to go back and really give a look. Freeze frame, if you can, in the schoolroom at the beginning when Miles O'Brien comes in. Now, like any Star Trek fan, there are images and models of ships all around. Uh, but how about that display behind Chief O'Brien for comparative xenobiology uh on that display you got a tribble you got what appears to be an excalbion you've got the neural parasite from deneva that would be from operation annihilate and among all those familiar faces you've got a couple of prawns and fur coats yep nice they're back they're back and our regular cast let us put the spotlight this week on aaron eisenberg Aaron is a Hollywood native who got his start in his late teens with a handful of TV guests and feature film roles. Before Deep Space Nine, he shows up in The Wonder Years and Parker Lewis Can't Lose and Tales from the Crypt. In 1993, at the age of 24, he started his association with Star Trek and the role of Nog, and he turns up later with an appearance in Voyager and as a voice in Star Trek Online. And yes, at 24... He was a bit older than the character he portrayed on Deep Space Nine. It's well known that Aaron was born with a condition which left him with one poorly functioning kidney. At the age of 17, he had a transplant which affected his growth, and he had another kidney transplant in 2005. Let's talk about guest stars. The tall, silent Mehar Du is played by Tiny Ron. Yeah, that's one of those ironic nicknames since he's seven feet tall. Oh, it's a nickname. It, it, yeah, oh, right. Yeah, okay. So weird. So weird. It's on the birth certificate. Not tiny, I know. Um, he was a pro basketball player in the 70s, and he switched to acting in the early 80s. You might remember this, Ken. He was in all six episodes of Police Squad 
but never credited. <laughs> I know exactly who you're talking about. Right, right. So his owl, they'd always leave the camera at head height for uh, Leslie Nielsen and whoever else he was talking to, and, and would walk Al with like some paperwork or whatever, and then leave, and you never saw his head. That was Tiny Ron. That was so cool. I'll tell you the joke that I remember from that. Is he's mm-hmm. like he walks in, he hands Frank some paperwork, and Frank says, uh, "Oh, Al, you you got something on your on your mouth there." Then you see him reach up and wipe his mouth, and 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 uh, Leslie Nielsen says, "No, other side," and he reaches up and like a whole piece of watermelon just like, falls down. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's nonsensical, uh, but it's awesome, and uh, and I, I love now knowing who that guy is. Sadly, we still don't yeah. know what he looks like. Oh, right, I know, I know, yeah, and, and you won't. In the future, because this is the first of many appearances on DS9, all under makeup, uh, but he will appear in a different role in a couple of episodes of Voyager. Oh, uh, by the way, still covered in makeup. Now, Crax is played by Lou Wagner, and we've seen him one time before on Next Gen as Damon Solok in Chain of Command Part 1. This is his only other Trek credit, but he was in some really memorable movies and TV shows. Yeah, he was practically a regular on Chips, and he had a guest role on Lost in Space way back in the day. But he was Lucius in the original Planet of the Apes, and he had a small role in the 1970 disaster film Airport. Grawl is played by Lee Ehrenberg, also a name that we've encountered before. You might remember that he is a hardworking character actor best known as Pitner in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. And we saw him twice before playing two different Ferengi in TNG's Force of Nature and Bloodlines. Now, this might be his only DS9 appearance, but he will be back for Voyager and Enterprise. And finally, the great Wallace Shawn plays Grand Nagus Zek. He is truly one of the most recognizable character actors in the business with a wildly prolific acting career. His film debut was Woody Allen's Manhattan, and he followed that soon after with Louis Miles' My Dinner with Andre. Over the years, his face and voice have cropped up just about everywhere. He's been the voice of Rex in all of the Toy Story franchise, uh, followed by more animation work like BoJack Horseman, uh, The Incredibles, and Kung Fu Panda. TV appearances range from Murphy Brown to The L Word to Gossip Girl to Eureka. But his best-known role is undoubtedly that of Vizzini in The Princess Bride. Negus, the episode where we learn that the first rule of acquisition is not that you do not talk about the first rule of acquisition. Prologue. A mysterious hooded figure holding a staff topped with a golden head in the shape of a Ferengi enters DS9 as we cut to Jake Sisko. He's buzzing around his quarters when he's interrupted by his dad, How about a little father and son time on Bajor? They have a festival. It'll be awesome. Nope. He'd rather hang out with his friend Nog. Speaking of Nog, he's hanging out in Quark's bar while Quark is berating his brother for returning someone's lost money. But they're all interrupted when a Ferengi calling himself Crax shows up with his father, that hooded figure from before. That would be Zek, the Grand Nagus. And that makes him super important. Act 1. Hey, who's this guy? 
Oh, Chief Miles O'Brien, back from his trip to Earth, where Keiko is still visiting her mother. O'Brien is substitute teaching today, and he's definitely out of his element. The kids are a little rambunctious, especially Nog and Jake, who even lies for his buddy about that old excuse, Vulcan stole my homework. O'Brien even tries to encourage Sisko that he should split up Jake and Nog, but the commander realizes it's probably best for him to not interfere. This time. Unlike all the other times. Back at Quark's, Grand Nega Zek is using the hollow suite while Quark ruminates with his brother that Zek is probably there to take over the bar at a price well below market value. He's not sure what to do but Zek invites him to sit down over a bowl of chilled tube grubs that night. Nog acts as server, and he's berated for attending the Federation school on board, causing Rom to ban him from ever going again. At dinner, Zek gets down to business. He's impressed with Quark's prescience in opening a bar so close to the wormhole. Untold business will come through DS9, and the Ferengi Alliance should be there to take advantage. He wants to use the bar, and Quark as a host, for a high-power meeting the next morning. Act 2. Nog is maybe just a little defensive. Jake's asking him why he's not at school, but what does Nog need with dumb old Federation school anyway? He's Ferengi, and yeah, you can tell he's not cool with being told what to do by Rom. The Ferengi pile in for the meeting. There's a little shuffling of who should be seated where and who hates whom. Zek calls for drinks, and Quark assumes he should go get them, but the Grand Nagus wants him to be there for the meeting. Someone else will have to fetch the drinks. Zek congratulates everyone there on the huge profits realized by the Ferengi recently, but the Gamma Quadrant is a whole new thing. To expand their businesses and take advantage of this opportunity, they will need a new, fresh, younger leader. They will need... Quark. Act 3. Jake is a bit bummed over Nog dropping out of school. It just won't be the same, but even Cisco says they can still hang out after school. And hey, these things happen. Plus, humans of Ferengi just don't get along. So says Starfleet Commander Benjamin Sisko. Quark is eating up his new role, even after the outrage among other Ferengi after the announcement. Already other Ferengi are trying to curry favor and threaten him in the process. This leads Quark to get some help from Zek. About the only advice the former Nagus can offer to the new one is to surround himself with good, loyal, but not too loyal men. And then he dies. Right there in front of Quark, Zek shuffles off this mortal coil. At the funeral, deals are being made, of course, literally selling off collectible pieces of Zek's desiccated body. Ew. Quark asks Rom to be his bodyguard. He's the only person left he can trust. With Odo chastising Quark and Quark looking to pick up any loose change at his bar, things seem to be getting back to normal just a little bit until a floating bomb barely misses taking off Quark's head. Act 4. Time to get all CSI up in here. O'Brien discovers that was a bomb designed to seek out Ferengi pheromones, Quark's in particular. It's a Ferengi on Ferengi crime. Quark isn't forthcoming, though, with helping the investigation. 
He says Crax would have motives since he would be the next Grand Nagus. Then there's Growl, the one who offered protection. Still, they were both at the funeral when the bomb was dispatched. Uh, there's also Zek's assistant, Mayhardu. He wasn't at the funeral. Hmm. Now, back in Cisco's quarters, Jake is getting interrogated by his old man. What have he and Nog been up to anyway? Jake won't say, just that it's private. And then he leaves, which leaves Cisco an exasperated parent. Quirk is hearing pitches from Ferengi businessmen, doling out offers they can't refuse. All the negotiating is wearing him out, though, which leaves Rom and Cracks on their own to discuss. Uh-oh. Finding something more effective than a locator bomb. So it was them. Zek's son and Quark's own brother trying to rub him out. Act 5. Dax pops in to see her old friend Sisko. He's waiting on Jake, who's late for dinner, doesn't know what to do. And Dax chimes in that she's been a mother three times and a father twice. It never gets easier. But her advice? Go find your boy. Bring him home for dinner. Cisco sets out to do exactly that and finds Jake and Cargo Bay 14 up to no... Wait, what's that? Jake is teaching Nog how to read? Cisco leaves him alone. Rom and Cracks were preparing Quark for a trip through the wormhole, all the pomp and circumstance and fancy clothes. Something catches Odo's eye, though. It's Mehardu going to one of the airlocks. At another airlock, though, Rom and Crax escort Quark right up to the end, and there's no ship. Turning around, Quark finds himself trapped, about to be released into the vacuum of space, killed by the conspirators. As Rom and Crax fight over who will push the button, a voice comes from behind them, Release him! It's Zek! Alive! Zek put himself into a trance. The whole thing was a test to see if Crax was ready to take power, and yeah, he's not. Zek would rather his son quietly usurp power from Quark's bar, not some foolish power grab like this. Quark hands the scepter and the power back over to Zek, and Zek is still impressed with Quark. He's not too happy about having to remain in power, but he'll toss a good business opportunity Quark's way if he can, and who knows? Maybe he'll come back and buy the bar out from under him. This leaves Quark to deal with his brother, Rom, who is ready to see him ejected into space to his death. Rom starts groveling as he should, but Quark is so impressed with Rom's treachery, his drive, that he promotes him to assistant manager for policy and clientele. On to the promenade, the two buds, Jake and Nog, are hanging out, and in walks Sisko, calling for his son. But this time, he's not putting on the disappointed father face. He gives his boy a kiss and tells him to go play with his friend. The end. Nice job. Thank you. Here's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Wallace Shawn already has a funny voice. <laughs> Asking Wallace Shawn to do a funny voice is a travesty, honestly. And letting him do a funny voice uh, is also a travesty. Yeah. You hire Wallace Shawn... For his Wallace Shawn voice, not to do a bad Wallace Shawn imitation. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. That's not all I'm saying. I have other things to say, but no, that's why I, I'm starting because I, I, yeah. I, I don't get it. 
I, I get it. We, we had that. Uh, well, I get it that I don't get it. I get right. it that you don't get it because I don't get it. Uh, that That's a lot to deal with. And, and the laugh <laughs> is just, I, uh, it, it seems out of step with the other Ferengi. Right. And we had a new thing to deal with. And that is Max Gredenchik's new interpretation of Rom. This is a new Rom voice and new Rom kind of physicality compared to all the episodes that we've had before. He was a different Rom up until now. Really? So we've got, yeah, yeah. Because this is so much like the Rom that we see going forward. Mm -hmm. This is the Rom we see going forward. It didn't even occur to me that it had changed because he hasn't really. Distracted by Wally Shaw. (laughs) Well, there is that. But then there's also the fact that, I mean, we haven't gotten a lot out of Rom to this point. Yeah. I mean, he had more screen time in this episode, I think, than he's had in any episode before, right? Mm-hmm. He yeah. did. He did, absolutely. All right. So, uh, last week, there was no school until Mrs. O'Brien got back from Earth, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, that really seemed to work out better for everybody. <laughs> you think? <laughs> yeah. I do. You know, yeah. I do. Yeah. I, I'm not, yeah. but I'm just. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know, there's no seasons in space. This could be her summer break. Right. And yeah. And or, fine. or they could go year round, which is another thing too. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just not. Yeah. I, th- I think, yeah. I think when we thought there was no school until she got back, that would have been fine. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, here's the thing about school. I, I, I was not a great student. Um, I, I, you know, I, I love education. I love knowledge. I love studying, but I, I don't love school. I don't love the structure of school. Um, but, I, I love school of the future. We talked about this before, like cool computer desks and you, know, you got that poster on the wall with the prawns and fur coats. Like I, I love that kind of thing. What I don't love, so many pads, hmm. so many pads. Jake has all the pads. So it made, it made me have an idea. I had this phrase. See what you think. I have an idea. Okay. You design an app that would contain all the data you need on one pad. Like, like if you've got six subjects in school and they all require a different book, uh-huh. all those books go into one app and one pad. So like, a, so you, you mean like a, like sort of like a personal pad, like a, mm-hmm. like a, like a, like a me pad or like, yeah, a, like me, a that's the perfect pad. name for it. Yeah. A, a me pad, a okay. me pad. <laughs> okay. You take that and then you have an app in there. I don't even know what an app is. I'm just saying yeah, like an application, yeah. a, a program, a computer program in the pad. It'd be cool. And yeah. maybe it has books for you. Would this me pad hook up to the meter net? <laughs> it might. It might do exactly that. That could that could really be interesting. See, I actually had another yeah. question about the pad, and this is not this is not as crazy futuristic as what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, assuming that we're going with Nog's story, you know that his pad was stolen. Yeah. How is he supposed to have his report done by tomorrow? Oh, see, because that was the whole they... that was the conceit, mm-hmm. right? The whole thing is my I, I I don't have my report because my pad was stolen. And then he says, well, I, well, I, well, I want to see it tomorrow. And Nog's like, yeah, okay. At that point, I think O'Brien should have been like, aha! <laughs> <laughs> well, here, A, go replicate a pad. Okay. But B, I'm going to invent something else here. Right? So I already invented <laughs> an app. Uh, all right, I'm going to invent the idea that, that you could take a pad or you could go to a computer terminal somewhere else on DS9, write the essay, and then it goes to some sort of connected, I don't know, like a, like a network no. thing no. where I could then go to another pad or another connected computer and retrieve that information. Now I'm thinking you're faking all this stuff because we already know 
there is a meter net. We talked about that a moment ago. Okay. All right. All so right. yeah. So yeah. now you're gotcha. just now I think you're just claiming credit for ideas that are already out there. Crazy talk. Crazy, crazy talk. Hey, introduction of the rules of acquisition. I, I mentioned that, that this is Ira's baby, and he even wrote the book on it, literally wrote the book on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got two of them here. We got rules one and six. I'm saying right now that we're not going to do in our show a call out of every single rule of acquisition. Go, go get the book. Yeah. But you're saying that's a thing. It is a thing. Oh. It is a thing. Oh, I had no idea. <laughs> it's, it's a thing. Okay. It, it, yeah. Yeah. If it didn't exist, it would have had to have been invented. Um, so I, I, I don't know why, but um, Armin's delivery and that scene with Morn. Mm-hmm. And believe me, we will talk about Morn at some point and not in this show, but in another show. When he's explaining that joke. Oh, I, that is gold. That, that I, I enjoyed watching and rewatching that scene maybe more than anything else in this episode. I don't know why, but it's gold. It's so good. Yeah. So good. Morn's a guy uh, a bit like Norm. Morn's a guy mm-hmm. who's always in quarks. Morn's a guy who we have no idea what he looks like either. And as we were talking about earlier with the seven foot tall servant, um, <laughs> yeah. was Doug Drexler reusing his Academy Award winning prune face <laughs> makeup? <laughs> on him because I, he came on screen and I was like, wow, I wonder who did that face. Right. Right. Yeah. I yeah, mean, it's awesome. Yeah. And it did win him an Academy Award. So yeah. you know, why not? Why not? Yeah. And it wasn't exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Not it was exactly. The same enough. Yeah. Right. It was very it much. Was the, the same it was enough. prune face too. It was like, yeah, he showed that to Warren Beatty and Warren said, yeah, but more pruney. Yeah, you know, right. so he's like, well, I don't want to throw right. this away. I might, uh, yeah, I might use it for something someday. Hey, I'm pretty sure they'll have more to say about this later. But in that scene in, in the command center, Cisco is so level headed. As soon as O'Brien starts criticizing Nog, you know, it's like, hey, Jake's a smart kid, and uh, I, I wouldn't put myself between them. And uh, you know, <laughs> he'd choose him over me. I'm like, uh, okay. Cisco, with your different <laughs> attitude now about all of this, yeah, yeah. you watched um, you watched Sports Night, didn't you? I saw a little bit of Sports Night. Oh, okay. Yeah, not, well, not, I, I I know what it is. Wonderful, so, wonderful yeah, series. But it yeah. taught me the uh, it taught me the phrase "Nobody beats up my brother but me." <laughs> okay, and that's pretty yeah. much what's going on there, right? Because Cisco yeah, all yeah. night long, and the and you know their quarters will be yeah, Nog's awful this and Nog's terrible that, and why don't you get some real friends? But mm-hmm. then the second somebody says, you know, you should really talk to him about getting away from Nog. Hey, mm-hmm. who's the father here? All right, you you <laughs> right. back off, you go away. I got this. Even if it's going to be Nog this, Nog that, Nog the other when they're back home. Yeah. Hey, we learned something else in this episode. Ferengi eat with chopsticks. Mm. It's kind of cool. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Yeah. I thought it was pretty neat. Yes. I, yeah. I got that in common with them. Yeah. I'm fine not eating worms, but you know. You don't know. You haven't tried those worms. No, yeah. I haven't. That's true. Yeah. And and I'm fine with that. Okay. Oh, all right. So I mentioned in the trivia that uh, everybody was a fan of The Godfather. Mm-hmm. Um, David Livingston and Ira and Michael Piller. And recreate, just literally recreating that scene from The Godfather. It was so obvious, but I would have done the same thing. Yeah, it was wonderful. (laughs) It was absolutely fantastic. And then honestly, after that, I couldn't help seeing uh, Rom as a bit like Fredo. 
right? Oh, uh, so, yeah, right. Of course, things go much worse for Fredo. Um, <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> yeah. And spoiler alert, we're going to talk about that later. But yeah. Yes, I couldn't help but I couldn't help but see that as it went forward. But from the second you see him sitting at the desk and you just see the side of, of Quark's like head, I was mm-hmm. like, Oh, we're doing that. That's awesome. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It was really yeah. uh it was not so over the top. Like I don't even think they stole any they didn't steal any direct lines. There was a little bit of playing with the script, but not yeah, they yeah, didn't yeah. lift anything, you know. I really did want him to say, You understand everything. Because that's right. like that's one of my favorite lines from that scene. But you know, we got the scene, and it's awesome. Yeah, pretty great. Um, oh, I, I guess uh, eggplant doesn't exist in the 24th century because it's aubergine this and aubergine that. Nice callback to the emissary, though, to the pilot emissary uh, when he mentioned his father's uh, aubergine stew, and we we now see a big bowl of it on the table there, and Dax is about to chow down on that. Um, Oh, and by the way, this goes back to something that we were talking about uh, last week, I believe. Mm -hmm. As far as we know, Jake is not wearing a Starfleet comm badge, and yet the computer is still able to find him in the cargo bay instantly. So I got to assume he's got the tracking device implant. Hmm. Possible, although I'm going to tell you why maybe not. Okay. I don't think just anybody would be able to go into a cargo bay. It's not like walking down the promenade. So it's possible that he had to key in, you know, uh, 4121. And then, of course, then the computer actually was like, that's Bashir. That's Cisco, yeah. No, it's Bashir. Uh, Bashir, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. But, I mean, it's possible he had to key something in to get in there. I didn't notice whether Mm -hmm. he was wearing a communicator, actually. But, right, he's, I mean, I I think we can sort of tech the tech around that by saying he must have keyed in 1234. Um, Jake. Password. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. One, two, three, four, Jake. Or Jake, one, yeah. two, three, four, whichever. He changes yeah. it like every six months, just back and forth between the two. It's kind of crazy. See, that that's your bit of retconning. My bit of retconning is they beamed up and uh, Commander Cisco's like, all right, welcome to Deep Space Nine. Here's your chip in your head so I can always keep track of you. Here's my leash. Uh, here's a new bit of tech, uh, an idea. I, I have so many ideas in this episode, Ken. There's a bit of technology I'm working on. I'm going to say, like, I'm going to design an airlock for a space station. I'm going to put a control panel on both sides of the door. Hmm. It's an interesting idea, but what if you have to force somebody out the airlock? Oh, just like in Moonraker. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't... Uh... Or, or like in Star Trek sometimes, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Hey, at the end, and I know that this is seriously messing up our never jumping the timeline thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that treat at the end that Nog is getting from the vendor on the promenade mm-hmm. kind of looks like what Tilly and Burnham were uh, uh, getting from that vendor on Kronos mm. in Discovery. Spoiler for Discovery, for those of you who haven't watched it, but it's still, as of this recording, relatively fresh in our minds. Yes. And, uh, and that, that looked like a thing. Fresh, but cooked to perfection. Yes. Yeah, it's really not a spoiler, too, to say they bought a snack. No, well, unless they want to know, like, what's snacking like in the 23rd century? Yeah, well, we're not going to tell you that because that would be a spoiler because Mm -hmm. that's a a good moment. And there was one thing that came up uh, for me that is not specific to this episode, but it is a question that came up in this episode. And I'm kind of wondering about it, and I kind of don't like that I wonder about it. Uh Um, Are Odo's apparent eyes actually eyes? Or can he, like, see and hear and taste and smell from every part of his body? 
And mm. if he can see and hear and taste and smell from every part of his body, how can he bear to sit down? Wait. Wait. You mean Lenegas did not die? Inconceivable. We will dive deeper into the Nagus in a moment, but first, we interrupt this podcast to tell you about another podcast. If I said to you, Mission Log Live, would you know what I meant? See, John Champion of Mission Log. That's you. And Ken Ray of Mission Log. Ooh, ooh that's me. Very good, very good, Ken. Well, we get together every Tuesday night to do a live show. When Star Trek Discovery is on, we talk about Discovery. When Discovery is not on, we talk about all kinds of stuff. Getting science into politics, getting politics out of science, uh, the philosophy of Star Trek. Um, how about what's so great about a World's Fair anyway? Indeed. Doug Drexler, Dayton Ward, Chase Masterson, Rod Roddenberry. Guests just keep on coming, and they're coming to talk to you. That's why we do the show live. We want your calls. So join us Tuesday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific on Facebook. That would actually be our Facebook page, facebook.com slash missionlogpod. Go to facebook.com slash missionlogpod or download the show later. Just search for Mission Log Live wherever you go for podcasts. Actually, do both. Yeah. Subscribe to Mission Log Live wherever you get podcasts and join us live every Tuesday night, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific at Facebook.com slash Mission Log Pod for Mission Log Live. It's like this, but live. And not a whole lot like this, but, you know, not, nothing like this. Well, sometimes it's like this. Bit, I mean, because because yeah. I mean, the thing is, and I know we're done talking about that, but I mean, we do tell mm. people whatever you want to talk about. So call yeah. in and talk about what yeah. you want to talk about. You want to remind us that stuff happens on DS9 that we don't know about yet. Yeah, that's the perfect place to do it. Give us a call. Yeah, because yeah, we have a phone <laughs> number and we have a, we have a thing you can click on and you can even have your face on screen with our faces telling us there's stuff we don't know. <laughs> Very exciting. <laughs> so, John. Yeah. I'm worried about the school children on DS9. Boy, you and me both. Oh, yeah. 10 of them, I guess. It depends on the week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so here's how school works there. Keiko, not a teacher, mm -hmm. is their teacher. Re responsible for, you know, curriculum. One assumes a certain amount of discipline, stuff like that. And when she's away... Uh, how about her husband? Because, you know, they're both named O'Brien. Apparently, that's mm -hmm. it. I don't know. Um, I'm sort of getting about, you know, worrying about them. Um, but this actually sort of, it turned real. Like, it, like at first it was sort of like, well, that's just dumb <laughs> that yeah. he's there. But it turns real when O'Brien basically reinforces the prejudice, racial or otherwise, that Cisco already had against Nog. Right. Um, right. Says some terrible things about Cisco. Though what's cool is we do see Cisco turn around at the end of the episode. Uh, it really says some absolutely terrible things about O'Brien, who, hi, spent time on the UN in space that is the Enterprise 1701D, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. But wait. He actually targets Nog. And I know it's for the reveal at the end. I get it. So, so Nog is not great in school, and then Nog's not even allowed to go to school, but he wants to learn to read, so that's going to make Nog better. But O'Brien targets Nog um, 
with shame, basically, for not having his work. He says, okay, who wants to share their thing? And he sees that one kid in the room doesn't have the thing. And so he targets that one kid. And at that point, what they're supposed to be learning about is ethics. At At that point, the class isn't learning about ethics. At that point, the class is learning about shaming and bullying, Irony alert. (laughs) Now, Nog did lie. I get that. Mm -hmm. But he was also backed into a corner in front of the closest thing that he has to peers. Yeah. And I know this is a very small part of the show, and maybe I shouldn't concentrate on that part. I'm not concentrating on it. There's a lot more stuff to talk about with this episode. But that really struck me as it went from comically inadequate that they just had him go in, apparently because it's his wife who started the school, so now it's his problem. To who who does O'Brien actually think he is at that point? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. there n- nothing good can come of what he did. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, look, the only place that I will cut them any slack is that uh, uh, okay? You mentioned the curriculum. Mm-hmm. I'm going to assume that that Starfleet hopefully has something in place that that you flip to the back of the book and it's like um if you find yourself in a space station really far from earth and there are kids there and you need to give them some sort of structure and education mm-hmm. here's our our guideline for for teaching kids and by the way very impressed that you have uh a classroom of mixed ages and uh, mixed species at this point. You're doing some pretty thoughtful stuff like an essay on ethics. Great idea. Like this is really cool to to get them thinking and, and get them talking. So I'm going to cut them some slack in that respect. And I'll also cut O'Brien a little bit of slack to say, oh, wait, Keiko, you want to stay on Earth a little bit because your mother just turned 100 years old? You do that. No, no, no. Look, don't worry. I'm going to go take care of your class for you even though they probably both knew that was a bad idea. Um, he he stepped up to the plate to do that. But the problem is, yes, as soon as he gets there and he's in that position, oh, I I feel so bad, not, not just for Nog, but for the other kids in the classroom because he just made it uncomfortable for everybody. Right. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I didn't even like, think about that part. I mean, I really was just yeah. concentrating on Nog and what a terrible, horrible thing he was doing there. You know, mm-hmm. we haven't actually talked much about the schooling. We've joked about it a little bit. I guess I am mm-hmm. curious. So they're still within spitting distance of Bajor, right? Not sure. not that you should yeah. spit down on Bajor. Don't misunderstand. But I mean, they're still very close. And Bajor mm-hmm. is like a planet. And they've got like kids and probably a school as well. Or, you know, it's a planet, maybe more than one school. Right. Yeah. I'm curious why they don't actually just like because they've got they've got runabouts. They got transporters. They got all kinds of ways to get the kids to and from school. Someplace where they actually have a curriculum. Yeah. Or a teacher from Bajor. Right, that'd be OK, yeah. too. Yeah. Now, yeah. really quickly, lest you think I'm beating up on the human characters. Let me be clear. I am. <laughs> the Ferengi are racist and sexist especially in one particular exchange here, they have a federation school run by a human, a female. Okay. Yeah. Right. And then there's something, clothes. yeah. And then there was something a little leery about, you know, Quark saying, Oh, I'm going to take the Dabu girl with me through the wormhole. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. Okay. But they're the Ferengi, right? We may see them grow into something better, but we have, we have met them. We know them to be double dealing. We know them to be sexist. We know them to be, uh, untrustworthy of other races, if not downright racist. 
historically, we look to Starfleet to be bigger, better personalities. And before you tell me it's not a Starfleet station, O'Brien is a Starfleet officer. Yeah. As is Cisco. I was going to say. And what a perfect opportunity to step up. Right. I was going to say, just like we talked about last week, Cisco is is nothing like decent about Nog. And he's nothing like decent about Nog for most of this episode either. And and he is also Starfleet. I mean, I get, the thing that I kept coming back to is just because the Ferengi treat us poorly and think poorly of us is no reason for us to do the same to them. And that goes doubly so for a Ferengi kid. Yeah, you're here. Anyway, um, whatever. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, I, I felt exactly the same way. And again, you you said earlier in in this bit in our discussion that um, all of this is there to set up what comes later. Yeah. Yes. Yes. We 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 get that. But but the contrast is there for Nog versus what Rom wants. Nog versus what the other Ferengi uh, uh, sort of. Um, look down upon about the whole idea of their interaction with the Federation and the contrast is there for Cisco learning something about his son. The fact that we've inserted O'Brien into this and it just sort of makes it more uncomfortable. It just makes it, Oh, I, I, I felt icky watching that scene. Yeah. I was, the more I watched it. Yeah. Cause look, look, I I've been that kid. Okay. I've been that kid who didn't do his homework. All right. And and let me tell you that being that kid who didn't do his homework, it's not exactly encouraging to then be the one who has made an example of in front of the rest of the class. Yeah, that's no, that's that's an absolutely terrible thing. And yes, I, I still have a I have yeah. a searing memory of that happening when I was in the second grade, oddly enough. Mm, yeah. yeah, sort of Rough. sort of terrible. Eh, whatever I got. Over, well, I say I got over it. I don't know. But here we are talking about it. I know, right? I still remember it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, let's talk about what this actually led up to. Because last week, we felt like they had so botched the uh, Commander Cisco and Jake Cisco relationship just badly. And it was an ongoing thing, particularly with Cisco's judgment of Nog. Um and I thought, okay, well, it's interesting that we have a scene early on in this episode where here you got Benjamin Cisco telling O'Brien, like, yeah, just uh, look, I'm, I'm going to stay out of it because I trust my son. My son is fine, which was not the Benjamin Cisco we had seen up until that point. But regardless, we get some redemption here. Nice scene between Dax and Cisco. Even though it seemed perfectly obvious, uh, go get your kid mm -hmm. and bring him home for dinner. <laughs> um, this is really the best stuff in the episode. Um, it, it 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 didn't excuse everything that had come before because that stuff was so uncomfortable. And and you pointing out last week how. Uh, Commander Cisco just came across as very racist mm -hmm. and and very inappropriate as a Starfleet officer, particularly trying to teach a lesson to his kid. Again, the the irony of ethics being the 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 subject of that class is kind of hilarious to me. But um, it actually paid off here. It paid off nicely, and what a sweet scene at the end. And I loved, again, you pointed out uh, what a good job Sirak did last time playing off that bit where he kind of gets called out by Odo mm -hmm. about going to the uh, uh, going to the loading bays to see the Bajoran ships come in, checking out the girls. 
also a nice job with Sirac this week, um, playing that bit of embarrassment with his father there, kind of having an emotional moment. That was nice. It was all nicely done. And I, I hope that what we have ended up here with is that maybe going forward, Commander Sisko is not quite the closed-minded bigot that he was before about Ferengi. <laughs> well, or at the very least, not assuming that, I mean, that's, that's, that's one of those things, right? Well, he's a, he's a good Ferengi. And I'm not saying yeah, that's actually right, a way to right. think, but I mean, he may still be, he may still be, you know, bad about Ferengi in general, but his dealings with Nog may actually, you know, open his eyes to the fact that yeah, not everybody's terrible. At the very least, though, he's not this way about, again, he's not this way about, well, hopefully, I mean, I mean, gosh, in TOS, he would feel exactly the same way last week, I mean, next week as he did last week. And there would yeah. just be this one week change. My assumption is because writing had changed so much by the 90s and because we're dealing more with character as we go into Star Trek that this is going to be a this is going to be a lasting change. Um tune in next week. <laughs> I even wrote down uh, there's a bit of dialogue where Jake says you're the one who says we should try to get along with other cultures and and Ben says I believe that and I'm glad you believe that too. But human values and Ferengi values are very different. We've never been able to form a common bond. Uh, uh, okay. It just, it, yeah, it, it, it ends there. Or so, so we thought it would end there. It's just like, yeah, you know, boy, we, we should really, those are such important words, but, uh, but they're, they're just not going to apply here because, uh, we tried and then, uh, we found out that we, we just had no bond. So, uh, so no, we, we, we can't have a bond with those, those creatures who uh, are not worthy of our friendship. I do not want to tell the Nagus how to live his life, but he could probably hire someone to trim his ear hair. Just a thought. The episode is The Nagus. And if you have trouble remembering which one that is, it's the one with the Nagus. Time now to talk about the messages, morals, and meanings and figuring out whether the whole episode actually stands the test of time. Why do I start with messages, morals, and meanings? Because then I always double back and say, first, we're going to start with the thing that I said last. Uh, it's because you like to say, but first. But I first! Think. Oh, man, you're right. I do. That's, uh-huh. I didn't realize how much, though. Yeah. There are way too many firsts in each episode of Mission Log. <laughs> <laughs> there are several, yeah, which is kind of yeah. weird, because they can't all be, and yet they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, does this episode hold up? The Nagus, John, does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? Uh, it, it's got some things going for it. Um, I, I think this episode to me is, I, first of all, you can tell that they're taking this sort of light, fun approach to it. They're, they're trying to do something that's a bit more comedic and, hey, let's focus on the Ferengi and let's introduce this just wacky character and let's bring in Wallace Shawn and let him do a wacky voice that's wackier than the regular Wallace Shawn voice, <laughs> you know? Um, but I, I think to me, this episode is why Quark stands out, and more specifically, this is why Armin Shimmerman stands out. They didn't know what to do with the Ferengi in the early days of Next Gen. They were too feral, they were too evil, it didn't work. 
Mm-hmm. And then they went the way of being comedically conniving and, and kind of incompetent in how conniving they were. And that really wasn't working quite the right way either. Now, Armin specifically hits the right balance. So even though Quark colluded with murderers, Quark is fully fleshed out, and we've only seen him now for 11 episodes. So I'll give them this. My recap this week was short because the episode is light on plot, but that's okay because the redeemable things in this episode are about the character journey And this is really a Quark-centric episode, and we get that redemption with the Jake and Nog storyline. It's still not great. It it is a million times better than last week with Move Along Home, Mm -hmm. uh, but that's a low bar. (laughs) Um, I'm still not crazy about the he's alive ending. I'd almost rather that Zek had actually died and there'd be another reason to knock Quark down a peg mm-hmm. because I feel like he's so good at playing these levels of having the power, not having the power, trying to scheme to get something, not quite getting it, maybe getting a little taste of it. Um, this it, it was all a little too conveniently wrapped up at the end, but this was not a super serious episode. So you get to sort of do something like that. Uh, he's back, and, and he's still a wacky character. And guess what? We'll probably see him again. Yes, we will see him again. <laughs> so um, it's not it's not amazing, but I'll actually kind of say that it stands up because we got such good stuff out of Quark, and we finally finally redeemed that thing with uh jake and nog yeah so um i'll I'll give it to him for that i'm really glad that went somewhere because if it was just going to be that for the whole first season you know or for however long i mean heck you know a sitcom in the 70s it would have been that for however long that sitcom ran i mean that, that would have been the thing so i'm glad but I think I did say last week, man, I hope this is going somewhere because it was just, <laughs> it felt terrible. And it was really neat to this week, you know, have that happen. Um, yeah. I'm sort of where you are. The more I watched it, the more I liked it, honestly. Mm. And, and let me back up. There are many problems with this episode. And I'm, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on the biggest one for me. I need them to settle on, a, on an MO for the Ferengi. Right? <laughs> right. And not even, I'm not even talking about like, I mean, so they were feral, you know, at the beginning of next gen and then they're citizens of the galaxy by the end of next gen or by the time we get to deep space nine, which of course is a couple of years before next gen ends, but whatever. Not unlike what we said in mirror, mirror, um, mm-hmm. it is really hard to see a spacefaring society growing from the cowering treacherous things that we saw when the Ferengi first appeared on TNG. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But but just since the start of Deep Space Nine, they've gone back and forth from like a cartoon greediness to cold-blooded killers to cartoonish cold-blooded killers <laughs> in this episode, right? I said, yeah, earlier, yeah. I said earlier that Nog reminded me of Fredo. And if you've never mm-hmm. seen The Godfather Part 2, plug your ears. Fredo let slip information that nearly got Michael killed, Right. His brother, the Godfather, he let slip information that nearly got Michael killed. And for being so careless and stupid, Michael had Fredo killed. Rom intentionally tried to have Quark killed twice. Tried to, he was even about to do it himself, right? But the cartoonishness of the Ferengi in Deep Space Nine means that you know he's more trusted now, which takes me out of it. 
I know it's crazy yep. to say that's the thing that takes me out of it because we got a seven foot tall guy who looks like prune face and we got a spaceship and we got all that. <laughs> but the thing that really gets to me is the fact that their relationship does, doesn't work. The other yeah. thing I got to say really quickly, if the Ferengi are so cold dealing, why not let Quark take the Dabo girl to his death with him? And I don't want her to die and I don't want whatever weirdness that would create, obviously, but... I mean, okay, so are these bad guys who will do anything to get power, or are they not? And if they're not, then why am I even dealing with this? Um, the inconsistency around the Ferengi makes me nuts. And that was my biggest problem with this episode. That and Wallace Shawn's Wallace Shawn imitation. <laughs> yes. But like I said before, yeah. first watch, honestly, I hated this episode. And mm-hmm. then like a like a like an onion or a lasagna or a baklava, maybe. Mm-hmm. There were many messagey layers that I took out of this episode. <laughs> um, I would do that with baklava and lasagna, actually. Onions, I'm fine with just whatever layer I get. Uh, man, I, I want both right now. Yeah. Uh, I just, I'm going to finish the show and then have lasagna followed by baklava. Uh, it's much better than those low-carb beans, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, no kidding. So so messages, though. What messages did you uh, did you pick up and take with you? There was a funny scene that I thought held a message in it. That, uh, that 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 has some uh, some importance. It's the scene where Zach is explaining how successful and how good a businessman Quark is for opening this bar next to the wormhole. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I believe it's uh, I believe it's Cracks who who's saying like, oh look, he, he didn't even know that the wormhole was here. And Zach says that's how good he is. <laughs> he, he had the prescience to put his bar here. And the lesson in that to me is success and intelligence don't necessarily go hand in hand. It's like we like to think that somebody, because they're successful, because Quark opened up this bar. And remember, at the in Emissary, Quark was packing up. Yeah. He was ready to get out of there, right? So, and they made him stay. They absolutely forced him to stay. So there was something very funny to me about just assuming now that because he has success, he must be smart. He must have had intelligence instead of just the good luck of happening to be in the right place at the right time and happening to have been forced to keep his place open. Um, I think a lot of us make that mistake sometimes. Somebody is successful. Somebody has money. And we go, oh, well, well, they must know what they're doing because they have money. They have success or they have fame or whatever it is. Not necessarily the case. I think we should always be skeptical of exactly that. I'll put another one in there, too. Don't let success get to your lobes. <laughs> you know, um, Quark, uh, Quark is reluctant to take the role, but then he immediately finds the comfort in the role. Mm-hmm. Um but but yeah, it, it it goes to his head. But but in an episode like this it can't help but go to his head. Um I would also say uh, uh start making friends and I don't mean that just specifically to start making friends, but but start behaving ethically now because if you do find yourself with some power, you'll need to have some genuine connections with people you trust. And and as you were just saying about how the thing that is cartoonishly unbelievable about the Ferengi is the thing that's sort of cartoonishly unbelievable about the mirror universe where, yeah, you could sort of kickstart something into happening that way, but you can't maintain a civilization that way. Right. You know, the, the Ferengi actually do have to have people that they trust. They actually do have to form bonds. They have to actually make plans 
other than just what's convenient right now, or else they would not have become the powerful, successful spacefaring uh, 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 species that they are. So, yeah. Um, and and if you're Cisco, uh, be cool. J- just be cool. He learned to be cool in this episode. He wasn't cool before. He kept being uncool with Jake and particularly uncool with the idea, just the, the very idea of the Fringi and one of them being friends with his son. But but he, he learned to be cool. So um, what else we got here? I feel like there, there are more messages in this. Well, the ones I picked up were heavy as the head that wears the crown or heavy mm. the hand that holds the scepter in this case because mm-hmm. um, Quark sees that immediately. Yeah, he wants to be Nagus. I mean, he's not aiming for it because he doesn't even think there's a reason that he would. But then he becomes Nagus and he's like really loving it. And then, of course, somebody tries to kill him immediately and everybody wants something from him. Now, of course, in the cartoonish whatever that the Ferengi are, he's going to always assume that somebody wants something from him anyway, and he's always going to be working an angle to get it over on them instead. But, yeah. I mean, that's it's different from being a bartender than, or I'm sorry, barkeep. <laughs> it's different from being, a, you know, an owner of a, an establishment to, you know, actually being the one Ferengi to whom everybody looks. I love the thoughts the Nagus had around true power. Sit near the center of it, listen to what's going on, and work from the shadows. You don't grab power, you accumulate it quietly without anybody noticing. Um, that's a little bit, I mean, it's sort of scary, but it's also, it's, I mean, it's a great way to think about it. Some of my favorite, some of my favorite stories of bad guys are not the titans that come in and step on everybody's head. They're the ones that's like, like in, uh, like one of the characters in one of the seasons of The Wire. I don't want to ruin it for anyone, but but we spent like half of one season of The Wire thinking we knew who the bad guy was. And it turns out the bad guy was the old guy sitting at the place where they all met. (laughs) And like when everybody else would leave, the guy that we thought was the bad guy would go over to the old guy and the old guy was pulling the strings the whole time. He was actually doing exactly what the Nagus said his son should be doing, sitting quietly, listening, and, uh, and actually calling the shots ultimately. I know I said earlier that um, just because the Ferengi treat us poorly and think poorly of us is no reason for us to do the same to them. In fairness, uh, senior staff does help Quark, despite how terrible he was to them, um, which is a great thing. Um, Sort of uncool that Odo was like, see, dummy, you know, at the end of it. (laughs) It's probably better to just help somebody just to help them, not help them and go, yeah, you did need my help, didn't you, jerk? Um, But it's still cool that they did that, although, you know, no also means no. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know then. Should they have like let him just go ahead and die? Yeah, probably not. I guess it's good that they helped him even though he was a jerk. Yeah. The one thing I will say is uh, you said that the best stuff in this episode is, you know, the Benjamin and Jake stuff. Honestly, yeah. the moment that I loved the most uh, was the one with the two kids, Jake and Nog, literally saying, hey, our parents are prejudiced. Doesn't mean we have to be. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could argue that that's a little simplistic, or you could argue that it should really be that simple in an ideal world. Yeah. Or a less than ideal space station position near a wormhole in the 24th century. But really, all they do, I mean, it's you and I have talked about this before. What's the episode? What's the episode? Uh, let that be your last battlefield. Let that be your last battlefield. Thank you very much. Where yeah. we know somebody who watched Star Trek and heard characters go, well, racism is stupid. And that person said, oh, you know, I always thought racism was stupid, despite what my parents have told me. But it turns out 
somebody else agrees with me. Racism is stupid. And it's wonderful. And it's not even that big a deal. But I mean, Jake and Nog are sitting there going, well, I guess we're supposed to hate each other because our parents don't like each other. But that really just doesn't work for me. So let's not hate each other and, and, and go do better things instead. Here, here. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. You can check out the Roddenberry Podcast Network at podcast.roddenberry.com. There you will find Mission Log, Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, Priority One, and The Trek Files. Now, if you'd like to support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash missionlog. And for more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That's trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week, Vortex. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Ferengi fashioned by the Lollipop Guild. Whether over the rainbow or outside the wormhole, follow the Latinum Road to a clothier near you. Transmission. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.